Valera is the goddess of illusions. She and her faith look to baffle and confuse people with both illusion and deception, all the while espousing the holy mystery of life and nature. I'm Ben Dignan, and welcome once again to Religion in the Realms. Titles Lara goes by the following titles Lady of the Mists, Mother of Illusionists, The Guardian of Liars, and The Mist Shadow. The Mist Shadow is a title only known by her faithful. This title has a particular function in the faith which we will touch upon later in the episode. Lara surprisingly has no known aliases. 5th edition's Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide mentions that Lara has been believed to be other deities in the past. No specifics are given past this statement. Portfolio and Domains Lara holds the portfolio of illusions. I like to think she has the portfolio of deception as well, since her re-emergence post-Second Sundering. But Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide only lists her as a goddess of illusions. Lyra's suggested domain for 5th edition is trickery. Appearance and Manifestations Fittingly, Lyra's true appearance is unknown even among her faithful. Lyra may take on any appearance at any place she chooses. At best, depictions in religious art show her to be a vague humanoid form made up of swirling gray mists, if not embodied by swirling mists themselves. The forms Lara's avatars take vary widely, though across different reports there is one form that comes up more than most, a quite tall and thin woman. Both this figure's hair and cloak is the color of gray smoke, and gives off misty emanations. This avatar's eyes are black and moist, said to be capable of seeing all things as they truly are. Often Lara would send out an avatar to tease and entice mortals in an appearance most appealing to that given individual, though Lara, by the accounts given, favors a feminine form for her avatars. Lara has two known manifestations. The first manifestation is the appearance of whirling gray mists. Within the mists may appear a pair of black eyes, or those present may feel the intense feeling of being watched. This manifestation always seems to be accompanied by a musical tune. This tune is never the same, is usually incoherent musical nonsense, and has no source. The second manifestation is one only perceived by her faithful. Her faithful can hear her voice emanating from within mist or smoke occasionally. Lara makes use of the following creatures to communicate her approval, disapproval, or aid her mortal followers. Lorids, doppelgangers, mimics, will-o'-wisps, invisible stalkers, cloud dragons, mist dragons, Displacer Beasts, Galbdur, Blink Dogs, 
and undead creatures who were formerly mortal illusionists. Lara is fond of sending out what would appear to be mundane animals with unique characteristics. Some examples include dogs or cats with outrageously colored fur, flying pigs, or giant talking rabbits only perceptible to those being aided by Lara. Lara can also manifest items on the prime material that superficially look like something else. Forget-me-not flowers, then an array of different minerals and gemstones. Pyrite, aka fool's goad, Sarbosa or Sarbosa, a round-specific gemstone, Urtios gemstone, which is known as Damborite in the real world, Zios gemstone, which is known as Zoocyte in the real world, Belgerals, a round-specific gemstone, and Tourmalines. Abilities Lara was known as a demi-power during the first edition era of the realms. Her descriptions in 2nd edition mention her to be a lesser power. It would appear that the writers at the time decided to upgrade her from a demi-power to a lesser power without any stated reason. Rather than an in-universe explanation like a dramatic increase in worshippers or claiming a new portfolio. For 3rd edition and 4th edition, she was believed to cease, so no rank is given to her. If I had to guess what day of her rank she holds in the current divine hierarchy in 5th edition, I would assign Lyra the rank of a lesser deity. Lyra has no stat block for herself. However, there is an avatar stat block for her in 2nd edition's Faiths and Avatars. I've chosen select elements from that stat block to talk about, just be cognizant of the fact that I may mention 2nd edition terms that are unknown in the 5th edition game. Lyra's avatar has access to spells from any sphere and then access to spells from the schools of illusion, alteration, lesser and greater divination, enchantment slash charm, and conjuration slash summoning. This avatar, of course, preferred illusion spells. The avatar does not have access to true seeing, despite what others may believe. The avatar may attack with unarmed strikes, though there are no records that speak to her doing so. Illusion spells cast by the Avatar are cast as if the Avatar was double their level. While not conscious to this ability, the Avatar negated the immunity to illusions held by other creatures or entities within a 360 feet radius. A deity's immunity was even negated, though they received the respective resistances and saving throws. Should the Avatar not attack in combat, they are able to cast two spells in a round. In particular, the Avatar can continue to cast Illusion spells even once they have used up all of their spell slots. Illusions cast by the Avatar are said to be without fault. Though lacking True Sight, Lyra's Avatar sees through any illusion set before her or any magical effect or spell cast with the intent to deceive the senses or cloak a creature or entity. The avatar was able to shape change into any form they wished and use the abilities and features granted to that form alongside the avatar's already stated abilities. Lyra's avatar is immune to others' illusions, even those manifested by other deities. The avatar is immune to charm and hold spells and magical effects. Any attack directed at the avatar is resolved as if the avatar is wearing a cloak of displacement. Personal History 
At no disclosed time, Lyra is said to have provided the unique language known as Rulathic to the illusionists of Faerun. This language is also the language used by the people of Nimbril, who we will touch on in a little while. At some time in the distant past, Joaquin's faith hold that Lyra attempted but failed to swindle Joaquin in a deal. In punishment, Joaquin unloaded a mountainous pile of molten gold upon Lyra. This day is observed by Joaquin's faithful in Waterdeep during that phase 10-day long celebration known as Joaquin Tide. In 1358 Del Reckoning, in months immediately after the Time of Troubles, Siric encountered what he thought to be the true form of Lara upon Black Feather Bridge down upon the surface of Faerun. Armed with the powerful sword known as Godsbane, he struck down this alleged druid form. Godsbane was the avatar form of Mask, God of Thieves. Mask was a former ally of Lara's before he betrayed Lara and provided Siric with Lara's location. Since this was following the Time of Troubles, you would think that Siric needed to seek out Lara in her divine realm upon Limbo and the Outer Plains to truly kill her. Sure, Siric's avatar and Lara's avatar could have met upon Faerun, but killing off a deity's avatar does not kill a deity outright. Rather, the death of an avatar significantly weakens the deity for a time. In any case, this is what the Forgotten Realms campaign setting book for 3rd edition says. Maybe this is just a hint into Lyra's ultimate deception of Siric. However, the Prince of Lies novel speaks to how Siric lured Lyra to Pandemonium and killed her there. But even in that novel, Siric says he killed Lyra's avatar and not her. Now some books will describe the event of Lyra's murder as factual, and that Siric without a doubt killed Lyra. Even 2nd edition's Planescape supplement says her corpse was floating amidst the Astral Sea. We can justify this as just another part of Lyra's vast illusion that duped even gods. Thing is, other source books from the 2nd edition Forgotten Realms make it seem as if Lyra's death was never a definite thing. Cirque certainly had no shred of doubt that he killed Lyra and subsumed her portfolio. In turn, he believed that he was the power who answered the prayers directed towards Lyra, and provided her clergy with their necessary powers. With the lack of clarity on the matter, Learned Sage went with the assumption that Lyra was indeed gone. Described both in the novel Prince of Lies and 5th edition's Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, this was not the first time Lyra faked her death. In the novel, Ogma the God of Knowledge says the following, quote, This wouldn't be the first time she obscured her whereabouts from us, simply to prove her power to hide outstrips our ability and patience to seek. End quote. It is even said that Lyra may be an illusion herself. Is it plausible that an illusion could be so powerful so as to hold the powers of a deity? I'll leave that up to you. Though in the same novel, Ao would speak out before the assembled deities at Kynosher. He confirmed that Siric, aided by Mask, had murdered Lyra. Again, this all muddles the reality of the situation even more, which might be playing into Lara's hand ultimately. Lara's clergy did not disband between 1358 Dale Reckoning to the present-day realms. It is said that most did not even know Lara had perished at Cyric's hand, and those who did know seemingly did not care. 
Following the Time of Troubles, a story emerged that Lyra had sought out and destroyed Lyra. Lyra allegedly did this because her name was too close to that of Lyra's. Of course, this was all entirely false and just a bad rumor. Lyra would make herself known during the Second Sundering. She retook the portfolio of illusion from Sirik, if Sirik ever really held it during her concealment. Sirises have spun the tale that Lyra is Sirik's daughter, though I would only think that Sirises believes such a claim. Personality Lyra is a chaotic, neutral goddess. She embodies the sudden changes in behavior inherent to the natural world. Rather than the deliberate lies and deception that is the providence of Sirik in the present day realms. Having a grasp on Lyra's true nature is hard and confusing. Everything she does is obscured and layered with illusion and misdirection. Not to mention she seems to be intensely private. True to her chaotic neutral nature, she is not malicious though. Those who manage to reach her realm, known as the Courts of Illusion, on limbo, uninvited, were captured rather than destroyed or turned into a servant. She is not an ambitious power and is content with her small following that exists on the fringes of society and on current-day Nimbral. Personal Realms In the Great Wheel cosmological model used in 1st edition, 2nd edition, and is the assumed default model for 5th edition Forgotten Realms, Lyra likely still resides on the chaotic neutral outer plane of Limbo. Lyra's divine realm is known as the Quartz of Illusion in this cosmology. This realm isn't mentioned to be on any specific layer. There is debate as to whether or not you can assign layers to the plane of Limbo as it is. The consensus, however, is that Limbo is just one layer with barriers, realms, and domains that change position all the time. Magic use is always subject to some random effect when manifested on this plane. Returning to Limbo requires an individual to reorient themselves completely as things are ever-shifting and ever-moving. With Lyra's presumed death, it was thought that her realm became non-existent. What Lyra did with the Courts of Illusion is not stated, but it is easy to make an educated guess that she obscured and hid it away, whether that be upon Limbo itself or somewhere else among the multiverse. Some have described Limbo to be a mixed pot of unique stew whose ingredients change from one moment to the next. Matter shifts through all various forms, with no discernible pattern and in random combinations. Complex shapes and forms can emerge, such as continent-sized earth moats and fortresses made of air, but you never can tell just how long such things are going to last. Despite all this chaos, Limbo is malleable to the thoughts of sentient individuals. Through concentrated thought, an individual can manifest a desired terrain, structure, and quality of air needed to be comfortable amidst the roiling change. Deific powers are able to maintain their realms on Limbo without the need to concentrate. Most sentient creatures and humanoids, however, must devote portions of their communities or portions of their vast brain power to concentrate on maintaining their various domains and settlements on Limbo. Limbo can play havoc with all the various types of magic, but we'll touch on just how it can affect all spells that are cast on the plane. 
A spellcaster is subject to a wisdom check to see whether a spell is cast successfully. Upon a failure, the spell is immediately nullified, and instead, a wild magic surge takes place. There's far more to say about Limbo, including information on the Gisterai, Slotty, and other creatures who live here, but it is best to turn our attention back to Lyra. In the World Tree cosmological model used for 3rd edition Forgotten Realms, Lair was of course presumed dead. Player's Guide to Faerun from this edition states that Lyra's realm, still referred to as the Courts of Illusion, had disappeared from the cosmology altogether. It is entirely possible that Lyra did cause it to vanish. However, this would have been a conscious decision rather than one manifested because of her demise. And again, in the World Axis cosmological model used for 4th edition Forgotten Realms, there is no mention of Lara having a domain, as Lara was presumed dead in this edition as well. Allies and Allegiances We only have 2nd edition sources to go off in terms of saying who was Lara's allies in the Faerunian pantheon and elsewhere. Azuth is said to be one of her allies. The other is said to have been Mask. The alliance she had with Azuth was more out of cooperation, given Azuth's providence over wizards and those wizards' use of illusion spells. Her alliance with Mask was likened to that of a passing friendship. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Lara is allied with Sianine Moonbow, elven goddess of dreams and mysticism among other portfolios, and Berevar Cloakshadow, the gnomish god of illusion and deception. Before Lara's presumed death, Berevar and Lara were strong allies. Berevar wasn't aware of Lara's grand deception over Siric. Thinking his ally dead, Berevar swore vengeance on Siric. Likely, Berevar, Cloakshadow, and Lara are allied once more. Enemies As listed in 2nd edition sources, Lara holds no one as her own foe. Tyr never liked her but she isn't listed as a foe of his. I don't know if Lyra holds any animosity with Siric, but I can confidently say Siric very likely despises Lyra given her re-emergence in the revelation that the portfolio of illusion was never really his. Savras, the god of divination, held Lyra as a foe since her domain over illusion is in conflict with his domain over divination. Outside of the Faerunian pantheon, Lyra is an enemy of Sorolali, halfling goddess of hospitality and friendship. Sorolali and her faithful actively combat those powers who attempt to deceive, such is the case with Lyra. In the Faerunian pantheon, Lyra's faith has one known symbol, a triangle pointed downwards. The inside of this triangle contains Swirling Grey Mist I would not be surprised if Lairans have their own wide array of secret holy symbols known to them and to them alone. Central Dogma This bit has been taken from Faces and Avatars from 2nd edition and I have modified it a bit. Quote, the Lady of the Mist can be anything, anywhere, and she is never what she seems to be. Make folk everywhere doubt what they believe and see, in order to restore the holy mystery to the world. I will note here that holy mystery is capitalized. Cherish and further illusions and rumors 
for distortion and legend are what make folk happy and life alluring. Give but take as well. Doing so ensures hopes are raised, then equally dashed. Never tell the truth when the less said suffices. Never use a half-truth when a lie would fit the situation better. Hiding a thing gives it value by the very act of cloaking. Should the truth be spoken, ensure it is said among your fellow Larens. End quote. Presence of the Faith Lara is worshipped by a sizable number of illusionists, charlatans, and rogues from any alignment. Others may not worship her, but rather attempt to placate her so as to turn her attention away from them, especially when these individuals are about to make an important decision or action, or if they feel they are being conned in some instance. On the flip side, common people may pray to her if they need to keep something obscured. Altogether, common folk know well enough not to trust Larens in general. The only way to know if a Laren is speaking truth is if they bookend what they have to say with the phrase, quote, by the misshadow. To repeat what I said earlier in the episode, this title is known and only utilized by Larens. If someone is perceived as a trusted individual by the Laren faith, they are spoken to with far-fetched and ludicrous lies that can easily be deemed to be false. Otherwise, the faith defaults to plausible lies and half-truths with others. The enigmatic Mistmaster dwells in the northern reaches of the High Forest in the Citadel of the Mists. The Mistmaster is described as a long-lived human illusionist and lapsed priest of Lara. It is said that the Mistmaster at one time may have been the highest-ranking Laren based out of Milvaroon. Whatever the case may be, this individual is extremely powerful boasting in the 3rd edition game 19 levels in Cleric and 26 as an Illusionist. There is far more to be said about the Mistmaster and the Citadel of the Mists, but it does not unfortunately pertain to this episode. In any case, I have to wonder if the Mistmaster has renewed faith now that Lara has made herself known once more or possibly he may have been in on Lara's ruse partially or fully and kept up the act of elapsed Laren during her assumed death. What I do know is that Ed Greenwood has said any further information about the Mistmaster is under NDA. The island nation of Nimbril, located to the southwest of Chult, deserves special mention in this episode. In 173 Dale Reckoning, a significant portion of Halruans left Halrua in skyships to come to Nimbril. Before their exodus, these Larens had become fed up with the stranglehold the clergies of Azuth and Mistra had upon Halrua's Council of Elders. Their calls for a degree of representation on the council were ignored, so the Laren wizards and clerics left. All those leaving Halrua were devout Larens. Prior to the arrival of these Halruans, moon elves had colonized Nimbril. The two populations lived in harmony, and eventually no 
Full Elf remained as the two populations intermingled. During their reign in Nimbril, the clergy of Lyra, or as they were known regionally, the Master Dreamweavers, influenced the general populace to the extent that the bulk of the population practiced, quote, dream deceptions. Essentially, these were games where people would use illusions, falsehoods, disguises, and the like to deceive those in their lives. The idea was to try and see through one another's deceptions while creating your own. Come 1359 Dale Reckoning, the year following the Time of Troubles, the ruling lords of Nimbril banned the practice of state religion among the populace. This effectively ended the sanctioned state religion of Lyra. The wizards had revolted against the Lyran clergy, who had subjugated them for a long time. Some of the senior Lyran clergy were killed during the wizard uprising. In response, several Lyrans left Nimbril to settle in Samarok. The wizards came to eventually lead Nimbril as the Nimbril lords. Traces of Lyra's worship still existed on Nimbril. The common people had a habit of telling little lies that mostly had to do with their individual pasts and deeds. The Nimbril lords had been trying to curtail this practice since the time of troubles and Lyra's supposed death. Their symbol is also represented on the heralds of Nimbril's tabards. It was advised, though, that you never bring this to the attention of the heralds. Nothing larger than priests acting on their own or shrines were legally allowed on Nimbril. Now at the time of the Spell Plague, the island of Nimbril simply vanished. Some felt it was just veiled in illusion, others thought it had been swallowed up by the waves. But like a lot of other regions and nations that disappeared or were thought destroyed, Nimbril returned with the Second Sundering. Now if you read Nimbril's description in 5th edition Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, the narrator makes it seem as if the people of Nimbril, both rulers and common folk alike, never abandoned the practice of illusion magic and deceit, and that these have been core to the identity of Nimbril. This does run contrary to the information I just mentioned. The prior information I discussed was taken from a series of web articles and source books from the 3rd edition era. Nonetheless, Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide presents a Nimbril ruled by lords who are all master illusionists and bastions of Laren worship. I can justify this in my mind that Lara intervened in some capacity to save Nimbril from the Spell Plague. During the hundred-year skip between 3rd edition and 4th edition, Laren worship saw a renewal across Nimbril wherever Nimbril went at that time. But that's me adjusting to what looks to be an inconsistency in the lore across the editions. Samarak, also known as the Hidden Kingdom of Samarak, could be found on the south shore of the Chultan Peninsula. Samarak was both an independent kingdom and the vassal of Nimbril. It was ruled over by one of Nimbril's twelve lords, called the High Phantasmage. This title passed on between powerful illusionist archmages over a period of a few years to some decades. Powerful and widespread illusions across the kingdom hid away mountain passes leading inwards. The settlements of Samarak hid themselves behind natural high walls in the mountains and behind permanent illusions. Outsiders were not welcome into Samarak 
and much was done to scare off potential visitors. That was until Samarak was claimed and submerged by the resulting cataclysm of the Spell Plague. With the retreat of the waters following the Second Sundering, the ruins of Samarak are now exposed. Illusions still cloak areas around Samarak, though whether that is because new ones have been put up or previous illusions still stand. Just like before the Spell Plague, whatever creatures and or humanoids may be doing in Samarak remains a mystery. Hierarchy and Structure of the Clergy Laren clergy may be called miscallers or misshadowed. As mentioned before, Laris faithful seem small and on the fringes, though what their true numbers might be cannot ever be said with any certainty. Laren's actively obscure and lie about these types of things. The best estimation given during the Second Edition era states that her clergy is made up of 20% clerics, 45% specialty priests, and 35% illusionists. Specialty priests were a character option back in Second Edition that was not carried forward. Lair and clergy were said to be on good terms with one another, though this was born out of their collective ignorance of what was ever truly going on among their ranks. Lair and titles and monikers are constantly in flux and never static. It is hard to determine who may be a leading member in the faith from those who may be novices. Some choose to come up with pompous titles, while others come up with titles or ranks that are confusing. Two such quoted examples are the Supreme High Lord of the Heights and Depths, or the Most Holy Gutter Sweeper. Responsibilities and Duties of the Faithful Laren places of worship receive needed funds through various services. Larens create and spread false rumors, and if capable, or if the situation calls for it, crafting and casting illusions. They rent out or sell costumes. For a high markup, Larens will even apply makeup. Makeup is often put on folks who are in some sort of danger. As it is, Larens are well taught in the ways of disguise, both practical and magical. Larens can be hired on to pretend to be all sorts of people, like romantic partners, tax collectors, bandits, lovers, or even representatives of other faiths. Their primary goal is to make con folk have less faith in the concept of truth. Larens, of course, do this through many methods I've touched on before, but I will add crafting hoaxes and sometimes eventually revealing falsehoods they have set up. Larens plan out and work on different personas that they can later adopt. Embodying a persona is called acting out of mask. This being a Laren has set aside their ceremonial mask to act out in society. These personas don't necessarily need to be developed to provide for those in need of Lara's services. Often, these personas are adopted to further an individual Laren's cons or simply to entertain themselves. If a Laren steals from someone, that Laren must find a way to aid the victim of such theft to make up for what was stolen. Larens are tasked with deceiving at least one outsider to the faith once a day. 10% of any coin Larens make through their thefts or cons is to be donated back to the faith. If a Laren attempts to deceive a fellow clergy member, they may be expelled from the clergy. If so, they are cursed with Laren's curse, known as the shunning of the last. Nothing is ever believed to be true about this individual, even if another person sees an aspect of the cursed individual with their own eyes. This often leads to such a person being an outcast 
or social pariah. Orders and Priestly Bodies Mistwalkers are a particular body of Laren clergy. This group both speaks and moves quietly. They seem beholden to never tell the truth. Whether that is even amongst their peers is not said. Frankly, the description of Mistwalkers align closely with the responsibilities and practices of other regular Larens. Unique to the Mistwalkers, however, is their ability to resist a ring of truth. They are more capable in seeing through illusions, and they can cast illusion-based spells once per day that increase in power as they go up in level. Eventually, a Mistwalker's holy symbol innately holds the same benefits as an amulet of proof against detection and location. They have their own weaknesses, though. They have a minor penalty to saving throws and attacks while out in direct sunlight. If they are known to be a Mistwalker by an encountered NPC, that NPC's reaction role also suffers a significant penalty given Mistcaller's notoriety. The Demarks Alliance was a body of Beguilers who were either dedicated to Lara or Mask. After Mask betrayed Lara to Siric, a rift was created in this alliance. Larens and Mascarans came the blows in their hidden guild hall underneath Tantris. This battle is known in the history books as Demarks Fall. Ever since, their former guild hall has been inhabited by roaming undead, who are obscured in permanent mists and fog. Some of Demarks' alliance fled to various corners of Pharaoh to live out their lives in secrecy. Others remained hidden in the now undead populated tunnels they used to frequent. The Battle of Demarks' Fall involves such a flurry and collection of magic all in one place that a rift to the Plain of Shadow, which is now called the Shadowfell, formed. Through it came powerful and evil shadow-infused creatures. However, with them came magical items. Among these magic items was a spellbook once possessed by a Shade from the City of Shade, who was a Shadowcaster. The survivors who chose to remain in this former and now dangerous guild hall learned to become Shadowcasters themselves and renamed their group to Demarks Folly. The Demarks Alliance appears only to be mentioned in a couple 3rd edition web articles. I've included links to these archived articles in the episode description. It looks to me as if writers tried to provide an insetting justification for new character options presented during the publication history of this edition through these articles. I don't know if they would be considered true canon, though I do think they might be valuable for inspiration. Appearance and Dress Laren Ceremonial Dress is known best for the featureless silver mask that covers the member's entire face. The mask is smooth from forehead to chin, but bulges out just at the chin to allow for easier breathing. The material of the mask is such that Larens can see out of them, though what they see has a darker tint to it. I imagine the experience is akin to wearing sunglasses. Larens wear a different tinted silver mask throughout the day. Red in the morning, blue after high sun, which is the term for noon in setting, rust at dusk, and gray during the dark of night. A green-tinted silver mask is reserved for ritual and ceremony. The masks will reflect gaze attacks and provide the wearer with a significant bonus to save against such gaze attacks. They wear long cowled robes that range between russet to ochre in color. These robes then feature green streaks or lines. The robes are closed with a sash 
that matches the color of their robes. They then complete the outfit with a pair of gloves. Each Laren learns how to make their silver masks. It is said to be fine craftwork requiring a fair degree of manual dexterity and time. Each Laren makes a point of having multiples of their masks tucked away in cases. Wealthier members can afford glass steel enchantments to ensure the masks are far more durable. Each set of Laren vestments has a silver mask sewn into the cowl and another in a concealed inner pocket. It is not a sin to go without the silver mask, just Larens want to be unknown to the general public as active Laren clergy. Larens will not take off their masks if bathing or if found in other intimate settings with those who aren't fellow Larens. Should a Laren be without a mask, something akin to a gauze headsack will suffice in a pinch. Now, 5th edition Sword Coast Adventures Guide says that Larens wear mixed garb of white and smoky gray. Not much more said past that. I personally like the older description from 2nd edition. When adventuring, Laren clergy may travel about as one of their practiced alter egos with the necessary clothing to fit the role. Otherwise, they choose to go about in full Laren ceremonial dress, silver mask included. Though in addition to their vestments, they wear a russet-colored overcloak held closed by green gemstone clasps. These cloaks function like cloaks of displacement. The gemstones are actually false and hollow. These provide a secret place where Larens may hide actual gems, rings, vials, or other such small items. A typical hidden item in these clasps is a vial of sleek gas. Mistwalkers adorn themselves in soft gray or flat black attire. They have a cloak described as a swirling cloak that is any color that was not chosen for their clothing. The hood of this cloak is worn often to obscure the identity of the wearer. Mistwalkers also wear soft-soled shoes, which is thought to have influenced their given name. Nothing heavier than leather armor and no shields are worn by mistwalkers. They favor short swords, daggers, and garrots. They are not allowed to use two-handed weapons. The only ranged weapons they may make use of are daggers and blowguns. According to Ed Greenwood over on the Candlekeep forums, Laren followers are allowed to carry around false, hollowed-out symbols from other faiths, so long as within this symbol they carry a consecrated true Laren symbol. Others have very tiny holy symbols that they have glued to their fingernails and hide within a glove or behind a bandage. Attached to this candlekeep post, Ed describes how Larens have even developed a means of spellcasting where they disguise the casting of spells. They speak false words that make it seem like they're casting spells in the name of one god, while then speaking true words that really derive power from Lara. Rituals Larian clergy pray and meditate on their spells every morning, then on every moonlit night. This they specifically do by laying face down on the ground. The books don't speak to this, but I believe this is to symbolize them hiding their identity away from the light. A common motion observed by some folk on the realms is to make a quick, swirling motion with a finger held behind the back when speaking a lie. This gesture is believed to call out to Lara for aid in their deceit. When fogs or mists roll in, Larens walk within such natural phenomena, 
all the while chanting and sometimes talking to Lyra directly. If you recall, Lyra at times makes a point to speak directly to her faithful through a manifestation while they are amongst mist or fog. Lairans hold short rituals at altars where they attend to the layfolk attempting to placate Lyra and provide guidance to the faithful. Both such rituals take the form of kneeling prayer and songs or chants sung with arms held high as if framing empty air. Lairans have two important holy rituals. The first is known as the unmasking. This is a purification ritual performed as novices step foot into the faith, a clergy member is promoted, or a clergy member is performing penance. The unmasking involves the individual going without their ceremonial silver mask. They walk among their peers who hold tall, lit candles near reflecting pools and mirrors. The second important ritual is called the invocation. This ritual is performed to call upon Lyra's direct guidance. Chanting clergy members swing censers that emit dense smoke. The hope is that Lyra makes herself known within such smoke and speaks directly to her clergy members. The Laran faith holds six meetings called conclaves during a calendar year. These conclaves are never held at the same place or at the same time. Slowly and quietly, word of the next conclave makes the rounds of Laran places of worship, but every measure is taken not to allow such information to leak to outsiders. It is thought that at conclaves, that by rule of faith, only truth may be spoken among the faithful. At a conclave, information is shared among the faithful, transfers of personnel are completed, and true high-ranking clergy members determine which missions the faith take upon itself. In the city of Waterdeep, Liar's Night is a holy day that takes place on the 30th of Marpanoth in tribute to Lara and Mask. Multitudes across the city will disguise themselves for the night either through practical or magical means. While this holy day is meant primarily to placate the god of thieves and goddess of illusions, it has a celebratory air to it. Elaborate and peculiar costumes and disguises are celebrated and encouraged. Pumpkins and gourds are hollowed out and a face is carved onto the outside surface. A lit candle is then placed inside on the evening of the 30th to mark the start of the festivities. The carved pumpkin or gourd is said to represent the mask the person adopts for the night, while the burning candle within symbolizes the true soul of the person behind the mask. It is said that so long as the candle remains lit throughout the night, any lies or tricks you play on Liar's Night will not sully your social standing. Though it is bad luck to return in the wee hours of the morning to see your candle has been blown out. That being said, it is a social taboo for anyone who intentionally snuffs out the candles placed in carved gourds or pumpkins. Celebrants engage in all sorts of hedonistic activities and frivolities, playing pranks and tricks on one another. Pickpockets are far more common on a liar's night, so experienced celebrants know to keep little coin and things of little value on them. In place of such things, celebrants stuff their pockets and purses with candies. Traditionally, if a pickpocket takes a candy, they are to leave a small friendly token in exchange. Though recently, most adults just end up exchanging candy with one another and handing it out to any children who ask for some. No contracts are to be made out and signed on Liar's Night, since no one is sure enough who to trust and what might be agreed upon 
on this holy day. Magicians and illusionists are quite busy on Liar's Night, performing at various avenues and venues and parties. General Characteristics of Places of Worship Between a 2nd edition and 5th edition source, there seems to be a conflict with how Lair and Temples are described. Not a shocker there. Second edition's faiths and avatars described how the few temples dedicated to Lara are on the small side. They are open and somewhat exposed to the elements. The temples consist of thick columns and porticos. A relatively large open space is left for the inner sanctum. Here, religious ceremonies are held. Laran altars are short, flat, and rectangular in shape. At the corners of the altars are curving horns, either natural or artificial, to frame an empty space above the altar. At all times, Laren temples contain a white mist. This mist usually only hovers around at ankle height, but high-ranking clergy can command this mist to become thick and obscure vision entirely, if so desired. 5th edition Sword Coast Adventures Guide says how only true temples and shrines dedicated to Lara are found on Nimbril. While on Faerun, other sites of worship are disguised to appear as if dedicated to another deity. Though Laren faithful know to look for specific signs in these places to know that they are actually dedicated to their goddess. It's possible that this is a new practice and development in Lara's faith. However, once again, I lean towards this just being another conflicting element across editions. Specific Places of Worship Feather Falls is a collection of waterfalls found in Featherdale within the Dale Lands. On top of one of these waterfalls may be found an abandoned temple to Lara as of recording in 2nd edition. This abandoned temple is called the Mist Fall House. The lower floors of the structure are constantly damp from the rushing river nearby. The cellars are reportedly the home of monsters, though there have been attempts to clear it out. The cellars go six levels deep underground before leading to a huge cavern within the Underdark. This connection down to the Underdark is believed to be tied to the former wealth the Larens had. Before it was abandoned by the clergy, they would bring up cargo on its way to Scardale. No one was ever sure what the Larens were trading and how they held such extensive goods within what was known about the structure. Despite being abandoned, the upper level of the temple still retained much of its comfortable and beautiful accommodations. As of its description in 2nd edition's Face and Avatars, the Mistkeep in Presper is called the most influential Laren temple in the faith. One of the chief characteristics of this temple is the Pillars of Smoke, which the Larens simply call Pipe Pillars. Most importantly is the fact that the Mistkeep is said to hold a substantial and valuable collection of magical items that rival other substantial hordes and vaults on the continent. The resident clergy here ensured that they use their magic items in indirect and obfuscated ways. Mainly they use these items to slightly influence regional politics and help in searching out ever more magic items. They bring in coin from the construction of the silver masks and then the vestments worn by their fellow Larens. At the time of writing, the high priestess was an elderly gnome who was said to have been gifted with the techniques of crafting Laren masks and vestments with potent battle magics by Lara herself. The moon that orbits Toro may be called Salune by Faerunians. 
However, those who reside upon the moon itself worship Lyra in large numbers. This information comes from a second edition Spelljammer sourcebook called Realm Space. The inhabitants here also refer to the moon as Lyra and not Salune. Very few Faerunians are aware of the peoples and technologies that inhabit the cosmos outside of their world as it is. On the dark side of the moon, the side hidden away from those on Toril, can be found a collection of different ports for spelljammers to dock. The largest port of call on Salune is called the Lara Trading Center. The Salunians, as they are called in this book, live on all sides of the moon, just you would not see such sides of their activity on the bright side thanks to a massive illusion cast by Alara herself. This illusion disguises the bright side of the moon as a lifeless surface pitted with craters and valleys. So powerful is this illusion that only a minor deity could even attempt to nullify it. Frankly, there is not much said about this people's worship of Lara, and if it is any different to that experienced down on Faerun. They are quite a unique population of hedonistic and deeply paranoid humans and elves, but if you want to read up on them further, I suggest you look to the Spelljammer book I mentioned earlier. Within the ruins of Delhumide is a ruined temple to Lara. Here, Saztam, who was just one of several Zulkirs of Thay at the time, and his apprentice learned that there was a powerful relic within this ruined temple, a crown whose inset gemstones contained substantial power. Though Saztam managed to reach this crown, he could not bear it as it granted the person who wore it eternal life, and as you may know, Saztam is a lich. In any case, the short story these events are recounted in says that Lyra lured Sastam to this temple in order to dupe him. This short story is called Red Ambition and can be found in two short story anthologies, the first being Best of the Realms 1, and then the second being Realms of Magic. A named temple to Lyra is the Hidden House in Westgate. Unnamed temples to Lyra can be found in Eltabar and Byzantor, which are both found in Thay. Unnamed shrines to Lara can be found in Darlun and Ordolan. A shrine to Lara called the Mist Hall can be found in Burdusk. Character options. For second edition, the Mist Caller Specialty Priest can be found in Face and Avatars. The Mist Walker Priest variant can be found in Warriors and Priests of the Realms. Following that is a breakdown of the features I think someone deeply involved in Lara's faith as an acolyte or otherwise could have for their background in 5th edition. For your two skill proficiencies, Deception, then one of Sleight of Hand, Stealth, or Performance. For your language or tool proficiencies, two of the following three. Glass blower's tools, which specifically for the masks they wear, Disguise Kit, or Forgery Kit. For their equipment, there's the Charlatans from the Player's Handbook. For their feature, there's the Charlton's False Identity from the Player's Handbook, and then, of course, the Acolyte's Shelter of the Faithful from the same sourcebook. Finally is a list of subclasses that I think would be thematically appropriate for an NPC or PC to take if they are a worshipper of Lara in 5th edition. For the Cleric, there's the Trickery Domain Cleric from the Player's Handbook. For the Rogue, there's the Arcane Trickster from the Player's Handbook. 
for the sorcerer. There's the divine soul sorcerer from Xanathar's Guide to Everything. Then at the end, there is the illusion arcane tradition for wizards and the player's handbook. Dungeon Master Options First up is a list of creatures and humanoids available in 5th edition sources that I think would serve directly or indirectly Lara and her faith. With spellcasters, it is worth your time to change out the spells given in their stat block for spells that fit their theme and role in the world. From the Monster Manual, The Mimic, Marid, Doppelganger, Will-O-Wisp, Invisible Stalker, Displacer Beast, Galbdur, Blink Dog, Acolyte, Archmage, Mage, and Priest. From Waterdeep Dragon Heist, there's the Dining Table Mimic. From Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, the Horde Mimic, Horde Scarab, and Swarm of Horde Scarabs. From Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage, the Large Mimic, and Rowboat Mimic. From Volo's Guide to Monsters, there's the Illusionist, and then the revised version of the stat block called the Illusionist Wizard can be found in Mordecai and Presents Monsters of the Multiverse. From Wild Beyond the Witchlight, there's the Displacer Beast Kitten. From Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, there's the Spitting Mimic. Finally, from Candlekeep Mysteries, there's the Mimic Chair. Next up are two monsters associated with Laris Faith that don't have official 5th edition stat blocks. Mist dragons are true dragons of neutral alignment with blue-gray metallic scales. They are philosophical recluses prone to being lost in thought. Mist dragons do not like to talk any more than they have to. These dragons lair near rushing water or where rainfall is frequent. Their lairs are held in caverns or grottos filled with mist. Mist dragons are able to turn themselves into mist to avoid detection or more easily flee or fight outsiders or enemies. They are able to utilize two types of breath weapons, a scalding spray of steam or a caustic line of acidic slime. Mist dragons can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual 2, 2nd edition's Monstrous Manual, and then 3rd edition's Dragons of Faerun. Much like mist dragons, cloud dragons are solitary, who don't like outsiders and strangers. They have a disdain for such creatures not graced with the innate ability to fly. Cloud dragons are true dragons with red-gold scales when they reach maturity. They utilize a breath weapon that is a blast of frigid air, which contains sharp ice crystals. Or as described in another source, a breath weapon that releases tornado force winds. Much like mist dragons again, cloud dragons can adopt their own amorphous form, though it is referred to as a cloud form. These dragons lair up in magical islands upon clouds, or rarely upon mountain summits. Cloud dragons can be found in 1st edition's Monster Manual 2, 2nd edition's Monstrous Manual, and 3rd edition's Draconomicon, where they are listed as storm drakes. To round out the Dungeon Master Options section, the following are some thematically appropriate magic items from official 5th edition sources I feel the Laren Faith may have access to. From the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Amulet of Proof Against Detection and Location, Boots of Elvenkind, Cloak of Displacement, Cloak of Elvenkind, Cloak of Invisibility, Deck of Illusions, Dust of Disappearance, Ever Smoking Bottle, Gloves of Thievery, Hat of Disguise, 
potion of gaseous form, potion of invisibility, ring of reaction, ring of invisibility, and ring of mind shielding. From Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, there's the Ring of Obscuring. From Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the plus one to plus three Amulet of the Devout, Masquerade Tattoo, and Duplicitous Manuscript. Finally, from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, the Boots of False Tracks, the Charlatan's Dice, Cloak of Many Fashions, Instrument of Illusions, Perfume of Bewitching, and Pipe of Smoke Monsters. Alright, thank you for listening to Religion in the Realms. These episodes are uploaded to YouTube. Audio versions of the podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Podcasts. I don't mention it every episode, but I have posted a link in the video description to a Discord server I have set up. For audio listeners, you can find the link to the invite in the episode description. In the next episode, I will be covering Loviatar, the lawful evil goddess of pain and torment. Until next time, may Timora look kindly upon your dice rolls, Helm protect you, and Lathander light your path. Music for this episode, Magic Forest by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0.